Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the final episode of the Lit Poetry Podcast for Season 1. My name is James Laidler, Australian poet, writer and your host. In this final episode, we'll be signing off from Season 1 with one of my own poems. This poem is an invitation to bear witness to the rather private world of lost childhood innocence. Buried memories, bleeding sunsets and salt-crusted eyes with the poem Memory for Dust. This poem was written in the aftermath of my younger son finding our pet cat late one afternoon, its bones shattered and its body broken on the road outside our house in country Victoria. Lenny, our cat, had been run over by a car. In my mind's eye, I can still hear the scream of my son, Archie, ripping holes in the sky. Lenny's dead! Lenny's dead! Lenny's dead. Someone's killed Lenny. Someone's killed Lenny. I was in the house at the time, and it was late in the afternoon. My son's pain-soaked words reached me just before his body came bursting into the room. He was screaming and screaming and screaming. Help! Help! Lenny's dead. Someone's killed Lenny. Archie was still in grade five at primary school. He was young and out of control. Tears, more screaming, stamping. Oh no, oh no. He was inconsolable. I remember rushing with him out onto the road and there Lenny, our cat, was lying crumpled and smashed on the bitumen, lifeless and bloodied. Oh no, oh no, Lenny's dead, my son was screaming. He set off running into the backyard, smashing a path through the garden kicking and stamping the earth and at one point falling to the ground wailing and wailing and punching the dirt with his fists his wailing turned to sobs before returning to wails once more as I went inside the house to get a blanket with mayhem all around I went back out to Lenny's broken body and pulled him off the surface like an oyster from its shell placing him in the blanket and wrapping him up I then took him to the backyard and laid him on the grass. For the next hour or so, life became a juggling act of calling my wife who was still at work, informing my eldest son, who also became upset, and trying to console my younger son, who was just an absolute mess. Perhaps the memory that haunts me most is of Archie lying on the lawn a little bit later in fetal position, his arms wrapped around the blanket that contained Lenny softly patting his furry head that was now protruding out of one end. With one hand gently caressing my son's hair, I can still remember his relentless sobbing and his words, Lenny, I love you. I love you so much. Lenny, I love you. I love you so much. And this is the context of the poem I'll now play for you, Memory for Dust. The poem is the story of our little funeral that my wife, my two kids and I conducted as the sun began to set on our little backyard 
weiter der Regel. Memory for Dust by James Laidler Your arms curl around your knees as you hurt Your grief spinning roots in the dirt This closing in a being like petals in retreat From a slowly setting sun The wooden handle in my hands feels heavy Too heavy And even the cool ocean breeze drifting across our little backyard brings no relief to the sounds of your sobbing. In this decomposing dusk, in this purgatory between remembrance and denial, my body moves and the hard edge of the shovel bites and guts the earth, scooping clogs of memory for dust. Under the rhythm of my digging, I spy you out of the corner of my eye, slow to rise, walking to the garden's edge to collect the last hints of summer from the outstretched hands of sorrowful plants. Then, as the last whisper of sunlight dissolves into darkness, I watch as you make your solemn vow of love, knee to earth, to the broken body we lower within. And in the perfect union of animal and small boy, you confetti the earth with petals and tears, marrying your pain to his passing forever. So I want to reflect a little bit here about the poem and give you an insight into the whole process of writing it. The poem was written many years after the actual event and it actually took me many drafts to get it right. While I developed the basic idea for it in a single writing session after some rather emotional journaling, I think I rewrote key sections of it over and over again across a year or so, grasping and searching for the right words. It's a funny thing with poetry. Sometimes the inspiration for the right words come easily and it seems to flow right through you, while at other times it can take ages to find the right images, rhythms and words to clearly and authentically do justice to an event or a memory. Capturing honestly, without melodrama or hubris, an event such as this one is hard. And it's almost a spiritual exercise to achieve the integrity required, not to exploit or pollute the memory, with your own creative desire to write something praiseworthy. Indeed, the irony is that the poet or artist is always running the risk of corrupting their own work with their ego. And therefore, I offer you this poem confessionally, I suppose. And that is why the writing of it took so long, because the pure and true event at the heart of this tragic time is something that I actually cherish. I know it's strange to say that, But it is an event that forged deep bonds of love within my family. And those bonds feel to this day like 
rods of iron welded into place by the tears of our collective weeping. Once again, I think it is right that it took me so long to find the best words for this poem. I wrote it for several reasons. One of the reasons is deeply personal and family orientated. To unpack that day, to give it meaning and to perhaps bring a sense of closure to my family by offering it up as a gift to everybody who was involved. But secondly, it is also for others and for our world. I mention this last reason because I know under the surface of reality, the experience we shared that day is something that all people know because it's a universal experience. And for me, that is one of poetry's most important roles in life, to name the universal and remind people of their humanity. Indeed, one of the most noble roles of poetry, I believe, is to transport people into real moments of transcendence, where they can become truly alive to what is important in life. What is important? Well, in this case, it is the love people share between each other in the midst of pain and suffering. In this broken world of ours, it is important to remember that we are truly loved by others and that we are not alone. On that specific day, my son Archie was not alone. My partner Claire was not alone, nor was my other elder son Finn. And neither was I. We had each other. Of course, for other poems, Those moments of transcendence don't always have to deal with moments of pain and loss. Think, for instance, of the moment of a sunset and the human experience of joy and wonder. That is a worthwhile experience to share. Or think about the glory of a simple object that one can hold in one's hand, an object that we commonly ignore but on a poetic level can draw us in to an experience of the here and now. Overall, Poetry enhances our life and makes it a lot richer. So here I just want to say a few technical words for all you poetry nerds out there about my poem. You may have noticed that as a poet, I'm a bit of a fan of poetry that creates sonic soundscapes and visual scenes. As such, I'm a big fan of poets like Seamus Heaney, who used assonance, consonance, onomatopoeia, metaphors and personification to good effect in his work. As such, I tried in the poem to emphasise the intimate connections within the scene, not just between father and son, but through personifying the plants in the backyard and reshaping them into becoming virtual attendants at the funeral who offer their condolences through extended arms and gifts of flowers and petals. On a technical level, I also use the metaphor of a marriage between my son Archie and his dead cat. In this metaphor of marriage, his pain becomes wedded to his memory in a binding ceremony, one of pain and deep fidelity, and becoming a union that will last a long time. Hence, the confetti of petals and flowers reinforces this metaphor. 
And finally, the poem is full of consonants and assonants, especially in the digging scene with the use of harsh consonant sounds in letters in words such as clogs, gutting and dust. And also the slowing down assonant sounds of the vowels in those words such as the O's and U's. Combined, these techniques slow down the experience of pain our family was stuck in and wading through on that day, and also creating through the sounds of words a feeling of deep bitterness. So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. We'll be taking a short but well-earned break from the podcast before returning in the second half of the year with season two. Next season, we've got a host of wonderful guests lined up to join us on the podcast, including Federal Greens leader Adam Bant, former East Timorese First Lady Kirsty Sword Gusumol, and a number of leading contemporary poets from around the world who will be joining us to discuss their work. As usual, we will be continuing our format at Lit Poetry of creating an exciting new audio poem for each episode and using that poem as a springboard for conversation around important ideas and issues. In Season 2, we plan to be conducting an interview every fortnight, with the alternate week containing the more traditional analysis of a famous poem that you have come to expect from us here at Lit Poetry. We're very excited by what the future has in store and would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast or our YouTube channel in order to stay informed about future instalments. Having spoken today about one of the key reasons why we might write and read poetry, I thought I'd finish this episode and conclude season one by listening to a reflective piece I also wrote about poetry at the very start of this lit poetry journey. I hope it provides you with some inspiration and makes you look forward to hearing from me again in the second half of the year. This piece contains some very famous words spoken by Robin Williams while playing the role of Mr Keating in Dead Poet Society. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. So what exactly is a poem? Throughout history, people have asked the question, but the answer is difficult to pin down. Is a poem a spark? An echo? A dream? A factory of ideas? A cocoon? A stone thrown into a pond? Or is it a symphony of subtle sounds that sings our senses to life? It's hard to say exactly what a poem is, but one thing we can say about it is that it's not prose. For unlike the writing found in a work of literature, a poem uses condensed language, with all the water squeezed out of it. As W. Somerset Maughan writes, the crown of literature is poetry. It is its end and aim. It is the sublimest activity of the human mind. It is the achievement of beauty and delicacy. The writer of prose can only step aside when the poet passes. Yet despite these words, we still remain no closer to a definition of what a poem is. So perhaps the answer will become clearer if we look at the word itself. The word poem, a noun, comes from the ancient Greek verb poem, 
which means to create or make. So maybe our definition will be helped by simply asking what a poem makes or creates. And to this, what we can say is that a poem makes music through its rhythm and meter and rhyme, through its structures and forms across time, from haikus, sonnets, odes, raps and free verse, into its loving arms where coerced. It helps us see afresh the moments we miss and holds us just back from the edge of the abyss. It holds up a mirror to our reflection so dim and calls for our voices to be part of a hymn, a hymn of wonder thick buttered with life, melting the surface of our senses with delight. But stop, listen, wrestle, think, imagine, feel. What we know is that great poems have the power to start a fire in our mind. They can alter the way we see ourselves and they can change the way we see the world. A poem at its best calls forth our deep being. It dares us to break free from the safe strategies of the cautious mind and open our eyes to realities we could not even see. Poetry bids us to eat apple of knowledge whole. But the point of reading a poem is not to try and solve it. The point is to let yourself be swept out by its currents into a sea of possibilities. And yet we still remain stuck. So what is a poem? Well, perhaps in the end we need to ask the experts, the poets of this world. And this is what they say. A poem's aim is to name the unnameable, to point at frauds, to take sides, start arguments, shape the world and stop it from going to sleep. Salman Rushdie. If I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, I know that is poetry. Emily Dickinson. A poem lifts the veil from the hidden beauty of the world and makes familiar objects be as if they were not familiar. Percy Bysshe Shelley. A poem is born when an emotion has found its thought and the thought has found its words. Robert Frost. Poem is ordinary language, raised to the nth power. Poetry is boned with ideas, nerved and blooded with emotions, all held together by the delicate, tough skin of words. Paul Engel. Poetry is a mirror that makes beautiful that which is distorted. Percy Bysshe Shelley. And finally, from Mr Keating in the Dead Poets Society, played by Robin Williams. Words and language. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Now, see that look in Mr. Pitt's eye, like 19th century literature has nothing to do with going to business school or medical school, right? Maybe. Mr. Hopkins, you may agree with them, thinking, yes, we should simply study our Mr. Pritchard and learn our rhyme and meter and go quietly about the business of achieving other ambitions. A little secret for you. Huddle up. Huddle up! We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, 
These are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O oh me, O oh life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.